welcome to Freedom Cast, a podcast dedicated to interviewing star icons and entrepreneurs who have encouraged others to become more healthy and active. My name is Ashton, and it's my pleasure to host you as we take another trip through the fitness industry. It's entertaining and informative, and I hope it makes fitness more exciting and special to you in your own fitness journey. Freedom Cast is supported by Freedom Fitness Equipment in Charlotte, North Carolina. Freedom Fitness Equipment serves the health and fitness community nationwide, from free weights and strength equipment for home gyms and studios to cardio and conditioning equipment for commercial spaces. Check them out at freedomfitnessequipment.com. Let's get rolling with today's show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Sydney Smith. Uh, he is try no feet on uh, Instagram for a reason. <laughs> As you'll discover, he is a double amputee motivational speaker, outdoorsman, and also an Ironman triathlete. So I uh, don't know many people that are double amputees. Actually, sorry, correction. I don't know anybody who's a double amputee that has done that much. So I am super impressed. And I would love to know how the heck are you doing a triathlon? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one step at a time, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's amazing. So, so what, uh, can you, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Um, Give me, give us a little bit about your life story. Yeah, sure. So I'm a Utah boy. I was born and raised in Utah. Um, I, I grew up loving the outdoors. Um, absolutely anything outside is what I enjoyed. Hunting, fishing, swimming, camping. That's just the way I was raised. And, and I, I love it even to this day. Um, I Sports is something I've always wanted to do, but I struggled doing it. I was born with a disease called uh, Charcot-Marie-Tooth. Okay. Um, also known as CMT. Um, okay. So I'll refer, I'll refer to it as that because it's just easier off the tongue. Um, so CMT is a kind of a, it's a genetic um, progressive type of disorder that I explored with the normal body per se. And, and as I got older, um, as a younger kid, I would, it was diagnosed with it with some deformities in my feet and some lack of strength in certain muscles. And then uh, I had about 10 to 12 different surgeries growing up into my 20s. And then, um, you know, I just, I was in crutches all the time. And I mean, I even went horseback riding in, in uh, casts and stuff like that. And then they put me in braces, kind of like what Forrest Gump wore, which ironically is when the movie came out. So everybody on the playground told me to run, Sydney, run. Uh, so uh, it was good, good times. I, um, I got married. Uh, I, uh, have now four kids, um, and, and about six years ago, wow, time goes by fast. Yeah. Six years ago, uh, the disease got so bad that I wasn't able to walk, uh, more function or, or I was in just so much pain and depression and, and all kinds of issues that the doctors, um, had decided that the best case scenario for me to have a, um, a little bit more of a lifestyle that I was looking for would to uh, amputate my feet. So 2015, the deed was done um, and so on. So, Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, from there, um, I just talk about a little bit about uh, some of the things you've done. I'm particularly interested in the Ironman and triathlete stuff, but um, I see you're also an outdoorsman and motivational speaker. Did the motivational speaking come before or after uh, the amputation? <laughs> Way after. <laughs> okay. 
mainly because uh, I am, no one likes public speaking. If you do, I think there's a little bit of you that are it's full of shit because uh, <laughs> it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is, but no, I, I, uh, even to this day, I get nervous still mm-hmm. uh, public speaking, but um, the amount of people that I've talked to, the lives that I've been able to change and, and people that I've just been able to help, it's just given me a purpose to do it. And so when I focus on that purpose, uh, I don't, I don't have the fear behind it of public speaking, but uh, yeah, it came after from definitely from the lessons that I've learned and, and, and overall the, the change of perspective that I saw life differently. Um, and uh, I know not everybody's going to have to go through amputation to understand some of the, the joys in life and the motivation that you can give yourself. Uh, but I thought maybe I can give them a little piece of that and see if that seed can be planted and maybe they could do that for themselves. But yeah, so the Ironman, um, that's, that is the cream of the crop when it comes to triathlons. Um, you know, it's a 140.6 mile race. Uh, it's, uh, consists of a 2.4 mile swim and then 112 mile bike ride. And then you finish it off with a marathon all under 17 hours. So, oh my word. um, I, I, I wasn't a triathlete before this. Um, I never ran even a 5k before I lost my legs. Wow. Um, so it all started really when I was in the hospital and, um, on, I, I actually had lost the, the, the left leg first and then, um, it got infected. So they had to redo it. And when they redid it, just the way my life was going, I just had the doctors cut them both off at the same time. So, hmm. um, I was down quite a bit, um, as far as like, uh, physically and mentally, but the physical part, I couldn't do much, but just kind of do rehab and, and watch a lot of TV. And, uh, it was one day when I was coming off of uh, physical therapy, um, the Ironman was on television. Um, and so I, I saw that and I was pretty impressed. I didn't even think it was possible that, or humanly possible that a person can do that much in a day. And they, you know, they'd share all the stories of all the defeats people have overcome and the athletes that have trained their whole life. And, and I don't know what it was, if it was, you know, inspiration from God or, or just a fire that I needed or the, the pain pills that, uh, the doctors gave me that made me feel like, Hey, I can do an Ironman. And uh, that was my goal. And that's kind of where it all stemmed from is the decision there. And, and then uh, building onto that with, you know, learning how to walk and then figuring out how to run with prosthetics and swim without legs and, and then hurt, try to bike without feeling the pedals and, and then moving on to a race, you know, first 5k, 10k, half marathon, marathon, then sprint tries and Olympic tries and half Ironmans and then eventually to the full Ironman. So you were doing a ton leading even up to it. So you were gradually, so how many years did it take you to get into the full triathlon? Five. Five. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and how many have you done since then? Or is that your only one? Uh, I've done triathlons probably in the thirties, but with Ironman, I just have one. I have it right here in my office. Nice. I don't know if this is recorded, but yeah, I got the bad boy right there nice nice well a triathlon in and of itself is no small feat (laughs) and are there different are there different um is it is 
uh, I'm trying to remember because uh, I was looking at, into this for some reason. Is there are there versions of Ironman triathlons or triathlons in general, different distances? Yeah. So the sprint sprint try is your basic. So that's about a three mile run, um, and then it's like a twelve mile bike ride, and then or in the swims like a half mile, and then Olympic is twice that distance, and then the half Ironman is basically half an Ironman, and and I did. Uh, I did quite, I did about six half Ironmans prior. Cause I just, I, you know, it, it took a whole year of just dedicated training specifically for this race. Cause there was just so many factors with the abuse on my stumps and, and all the issues that I've had, you know, from other races and how, how can I physically do this on prosthetics? I mean, there's only at the time there was only two other amputees that had done it wow. uh, with, with, uh, my um, specifications and so uh, and I talked to them and it was it's just a slow slow grind to build up to that point because you know what with prosthetic legs um, you have to almost put up they well the experts say it's about 30 percent more energy that you need to put into running wow. um, than than the average human so I, I knew it was going to be challenging wow so what are, uh, just so people can understand and kind of get in your headspace with that, what are, uh, there's the physical challenges and demands. What other challenges are you running into um, with those kind of things? With, with the Ironman or with prosthetics? Um, with the Ironman. Um, basically, the Ironman was the easy part. Um, I, and oh. I mean, it wasn't easy per se, okay. but it was the easier part. The hardest part was actually the training. Okay. Um, I... Like I said, it, I didn't know how to do it. So I did get a coach that kind of uh, worked with me on a few things. He was on the, he did a lot of help with some Paralympic athletes and I, I felt like he was the best fit for me. Um, we did a lot of, uh, a lot of training, sometimes 20 to 25 hours a week. And, wow. you know, I, I still had a full-time job and I had some duties with my church and, you know, I started, you know, doing a little nonprofit organization on the side. And so with all those things, um, it, it was really hard to manage life and be a father and all that. And so, um, that was probably the hardest part was trying to stay on task. And, you know, I, and I, I never missed a workout until, um, about six months into my training or six months away from the race. Um, I, uh, was went, went on a bike ride and I just started feeling awful and sick. And I came back to the uh, house and um, just laid there and I started feeling this fever and it was the weekend and I let that fever rest over the weekend and it wasn't until Monday where I was at 103 so I went to the doctor and hmm. um, I went that morning and I couldn't put my leg on it was swelled up so badly and they took some x-rays and um, MRI and they noticed that there was some growth inside the stump and what had happened is I had a double um, staph infection. Um, and so they had to go in there and do some surgery to get it out. And I thought, you know, my race was over. And, and, uh, when I, um, had the infection the first time around, when I first lost my legs, they had to cut up higher, which is, you know, like starting over. Yeah. Um, but this time around, uh, luckily we caught it in time where they, they just had to kind of do revision cut some of the skin and then I have to, you know, stitches and let that rest for like six to eight weeks. And that was, that was kind of the big turning point because I thought it was over. And, um, 
you know, I got some motivation from my dad and my coach. And, you know, I just wanted to know if it was possible. If it was possible, I felt like I could do it. Um, and they, they felt like there was a, a small window, but uh, we decided to take that chance and alternate my training to focus more on the biking and the swimming. Um, and then slowly work that run in. Um, and that way I can get back to that marathon distance um, within six months. Wow. So if you don't mind me asking, is, is, the, is it possible to reinfect? Is that because of the training that you were doing? Or is that just a natural consequence of having the surgery? And by no matter what you do, it's at some point it will become reinfected. Um, yeah, I did because I, I've actually, this has been the fourth infection I've had on the same, uh, stump. So we thought maybe there was some kind of problem with me and, and the, one of the bacteria matched a similar bacteria that was in me the first time around. And they felt like it was something that just lay dormant. And with all my training, um, and, that I would do on my stumps, I'd cut my leg, um, with blisters and it would bleed. Okay. So it break that barrier. And with the stress of my body going through all that training, um, the infection specialist feels like it just kind of became, uh, awakened. And of course the other infection that came in from the cuts that, uh, it just, my body couldn't fight it. So Sure. That's what they, they feel has happened. So I gotcha. Uh, how, so you're, you must have an incredible family. I mean, how have they been, um, as far as, you know, just, uh, mentally, physically going through this with you? Um, and what was that experience like, um, still having to raise a family this entire time? Oh, bro. It was, it was, they're amazing. Like I, that's the one thing I love about kids, you know, children, they're just, they're innocent. They're so accepting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I felt guilty at times, especially like when we were on vacation and I had to bring all my bike stuff and swimming stuff and all my legs with us. And the kids would go want to go to the lake and do something. And I have to go get my training in. Um, and then every Saturday was pretty much wasted because, I, you know, they would be eight to 10 hour bike rides. And then I come home and I'm worthless. Uh, my wife, though, she was very understanding. She was patient. She knew that this drive was what really, was really keeping me um, positive about my situation. Mm -hmm. um, it was that uh, mental distraction from being an amputee. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fact that I don't have feet and life is going to be different and prosthetics are expensive and people are going to look at me. All, all the, all the uh, negative um things that uh, people put uh, on disabilities, she was worried. And she knew that this was something that would help me overcome that or, or basically train my mind to ignore that noise. Um, so she was very supportive. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I couldn't have done the race without her support. There's no way. Um, and so it was tough. Uh, she knew, she knew that it was going to be rough, but um, she was there. And uh, when, when I crossed the finish line, uh, she was the one that actually handed me the medal That's awesome. um, and that the race director choreographed that for us and uh, coordinated that for us. And it was just the most amazing feeling. I can imagine. Um, 
the oh talk a little bit about the outdoors part uh i see you have uh multiple uh trophies and, and things behind you from looks oh. like or those or those just for purely decorative <laughs> <laughs> no yeah they were they're animals that i've, I've harvested awesome. um and and um that i've hunted in my life they're where where we live um we have elk and we have uh, mule deer cool. um and so that's that's been another one of my passions that um, that helps me um, just grow mentally and and gives me some extra focus and and uh, I I do archery I do rifle I didn't do everything um, and then I also I, I see there's a lot of purpose behind you know hunting gathering the meats feeding your family there's a there's a huge gratification that comes from that mm -hmm. um i think in the human soul um so much so that i notice that with other disabled people whether they be paralyzed or or in you know prosthetics like myself that one of the things that they struggle with mentally is that they don't feel like they can contribute mm -hmm. and so they are look at themselves as a, as a burden i mean a lot of them battle that way because they're asking for help and they don't want to ask for help and they feel like they're a burden and what the outdoors and hunting does it it almost is just a huge release and a reward for them that hey this is something that i could do i can feed my family i can provide food on the table yeah sure you can get food at the grocery store but there's just something a little bit different in when it comes to, to hunting and so that's where this nonprofit organization that uh, I helped found is where we do take people and introduce them to this lifestyle and, and get them, you know, change their lives the best we can. Uh, I would say there's probably nothing like a man going out hunting and killing something and bringing it back to his family. Uh, oh yeah. I, uh, I feel you there. Um, well, even the women, uh, we, we have some girls that are just absolutely just amazing. They're just beasts, just out there doing some amazing things disabled enabled bodies they're just yeah it's it's not it's not just a man's gig anymore so that's a that's awesome uh what is what is the organization that you started talk a little bit about that yeah it's called disabled outdoorsmen um we have a utah chapter that's what i'm uh work for and uh, well i mean i volunteer for i said i'm not getting paid <laughs> but uh yeah it uh, we're a 501c3 we've been around for uh, a couple of years now. This year, uh, we have over 20 big game hunts that I'm helping on. In fact, I got one this weekend. It's the opening weekend in Utah for uh, archery elk. I'm taking out a vet. Um, and then I'm taking out uh, two other guys here later in September on their archery elk. So should be an adventure. Um, there's a lot, lot of hard work that goes into elk. Probably one of the hardest animals to hunt with your bow um in early season like this i can't imagine i'm i'm used to seeing guys you know gun the you know gun those things down because i i, I know archery is just a whole nother ball game can you yeah. talk a little bit about what it takes to take down one of those things because they're not small animals either <laughs> yeah yeah no they are not uh they're big they're you know some of them are the size of a small horse 700 800 pounds um, especially, you know, a male, like in the winter, you know, late season as they, you know, building up all that fat from, from after the, the rut. Mm -hmm. uh, 
usually that is the best time as far as opportunity and experiences to hunt them is in the rut uh, when they're bugling and you can, you know, mimic some of the calls to communicate, to find a way to get into uh, to where the bull is. But mm -hmm. it, it takes a lot of practice because uh, there's a lot of factors as far as not just art practicing your bow and fine tuning it. You want to make sure you're having the right, correct, lethal uh, projectile, whether it be the right bullet or the right arrow. You want to make sure that, that you're doing the animal um, uh, justice um, instead of, you know, just wounding it and then it dies on its own and in pain uh, where, where you want a nice ethical clean kill. Uh, archery, uh, a lot of people misconception or uh, misinterpret that, that that is unfair or, or not fair for the animal and you can just injure them. But I've seen a lot of lethal um, targets hit on an animal, whether you hit them in the lungs or the heart, that uh, they can die um, quite quickly more than, you know, a pack of wolves would, would take down an elk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once that happens, it is, the, the fun now ends and it becomes a, uh, a big work job where, you know, whether you have horses or you're able to get a vehicle to it, but in most cases, these elk are not near any roads and uh, you have to break down the animal um, with the meat that you, uh, you should be taking. Usually there's broken down into four quarters back straps. And then, you know, some people will take some portions of the rib meat and neck meat. And, and then it's, it is a long, painful trip, multiple trips to get that meat out. So, um, what's the, how long, uh, can you describe, uh, the process for getting one of those? Are you, I know with deer, it's usually stand, wait around um, early morning. Um, with elk, is it any different? Because I know, uh, I'm not familiar with Utah's terrain. Is it flat sure. open? You can just kind of go hide from them and pop up or? Um, most of your elk are going to be in the high, high desert mountainish areas. So your timber with your peaks and, and elk are really funny. They, I've seen them in the low desert. I've seen them in, you know, obviously in farmer's fields. Huh. Um, and, uh, but most of them are going to be in the thick, nasty mountains where you have to you know climb a thousand feet to get to certain spots where they're going to be wow um you know usually the tactics that i like to do depending on where i'm at if i could see them from a high vantage point with optics binoculars or a spotting scope then i can usually make a plan from there if it's in the rut where i can hear them um whether they make a noise i kind of try to judge um, the terrain based on the area that I've, you know, try to look at through maps, figure out where the wind's going, kind of, you know, make a best educated guess if they're going uphill, downhill, following the wind, going to water, feeding, sleeping, and how you can cut them off. And then at that point, uh, whether you find that communication that they are responsive to and, and just prepare for a close encounter because these animals in the rut, they will come within, I had one elk come within 13 yards Whoa. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was intense. <laughs> I can imagine, uh, going back to the, um, the training and everything you were doing with the, the triathlon or even the, even the hunting, I mean, is there any with, I say modern prosthetics, I'm not sure how far they've come. Is there anything you can't do now with those that I, there's obviously agility concerns and that kind of yeah. thing, I'm sure, but I'm sure they've come a long way. Like what, what's, what are some of the um, 
advantages, disadvantages now that you're seeing with those? Oh man, prosthetics. I would say that there's been some moments of a plateau and then occasionally we'll have some, you know, some new techniques or new technology. Um, where I'm at, I like to keep things simple. Mm -hmm. um, I've had scenarios where I've had, you know, little mini vacuums that would suck my legs on tight um, and the batteries would go out or I would accidentally bump something on a, on a rock and then I would lose the suction and the leg would fall off. And, and then I've had, you know, where I'm at now, it's, it's uh, my limb is connected to a liner that has a suction cup in it with, and then my socket that's connected to the blade has a one-way valve and then I could step into the socket. Um, that's just, it's basic that way. It's been around for, around for quite some time. Um, but I like it that way because I'm tough on prosthetics. Um, I, I've broken legs of, you know, in the mountains last year, I had a real bad incident where I broke a, a prosthetic um, hunting and there was nobody around and it was kind of a, had to crawl out. It was kind of a long ordeal, but I would say like the, just like in running too, um, I test out a lot of feet for running uh, a particular running company called Phil Hour. Yeah. Um, they make some amazing feats. They're out there in uh, uh, Chattanooga. Hmm. Um, and uh, it, 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 I tell you what, it, it's amazing the technology that they come up with for an active amputee that wants to run. Um, I play basketball on my feet. Um, wow. You know, jump rope. I could do pretty much everything that um, we've talked about. Some of the things I have to make modifications to, like if I want to go scuba diving. Or if I want to go swimming with my legs on, I make some adjustments. But mm -hmm. um, for the most part, it's just amazing what what these feet can do. And um, you know, I have to MacGyver a few stuff myself just to kind of <laughs> figure out stuff too. Sure. Um, and then going back to the uh, a little bit more to the triathlon because I am curious about your training because uh, I, I like talking about um, that kind of stuff when it comes to guys who are really athletic like yourself, but the, is most of that going to be endurance and literally just running and swimming and biking a whole heck of a lot, or is there any resistance training piece to that just to keep the strength up? Um, yeah, I, I, my training regimen consisted of, of at least one, um, to two resistant training, um, mainly because with, with, the running portion, um, as a double amputee, I don't have those stabilizer muscles. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I focus a lot on my hips and my glutes and my butt. And so I have to constantly keep that at top strength condition. Um, and with my disease, uh, I have to make sure to not overdo it. Otherwise it can trigger some things. And so okay. I try to find that fine tune line in my in my hips to uh, keep that stable and then just overall like in the off season i do a lot of heavier lifting um, especially coming close to hunting season i like to put on a few pounds and bulk up uh, just just because it you know i'm carrying a lot of gear my camping gear my food my water uh, rifle or archery equipment so uh, I would say with triathlon, it's good to have a blend, but most of it is just building up that, that tolerance and 
and uh, you know figuring out a, a diet pattern that your body can accept you know a lot of that carbohydrates and use them quickly and um, you know you're burning a lot of calories and so uh, the key for me was finding a way to recover you know eating correctly getting enough sleep stretching doing you know recovery workouts where I'm biking at a slower pace from swimming at a slower pace, just so I'll, my body can recover. So that way I can take to the next level on the next workout. Talk to me about the mental game behind that, because you've got a ton of motivation going in to keep going, but I'm sure with that kind of distance, there's got to be a point at which your body or your brain says, uh, no. <laughs> so how, do you, how are you continuing to bust past those plateaus? Because I'll tell you, I ran, I did, uh, there was an event many years ago called Tough Mudder and it was a 14 mile oh. obstacle course, but they've got breaks every so often as you're going over the obstacles. Cause I, there's no way in heck I would have even completed a half marathon. So I can't mentally, I'm thinking I'm shutting down way before I even get through the running portion. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it definitely is the fourth element to the triathlon is the men, mental game mm -hmm. uh, because like I said on paper it seems insane to do you know one of those activities or sports but to do them all three and then have to do it in a certain time frame uh, it, it seems impossible um, however uh, the body is amazing and the mind is amazing uh, but the mind truly can dictate what the body can and cannot do. Um, and for me, I, I try to keep my focus on the task at hand. If I looked at from the beginning of my venture, like my first 5K, it was hard. Like I, I freaking whined about it. I struggled. <laughs> I was just gasping like Fatty McGee. And I, uh, I was just thinking to myself, like, holy cow, if I'm struggling on three miles, how am I supposed to 140? And, and I tried to, to block that out. Um, a couple examples of some mental blocks that I had and uh, how they, I was able to overcome them was after my infection, which was that six-month mark before my race, my coach had scheduled me for a half Ironman just a few months afterwards. And I was, a, I was very worried about it. Cause I was like, man, you know, I don't know if I'm ready. And, and he got me all pumped up. And one piece of advice that got me through that race and was able to get me in a position to think about the Ironman was to not think about doing this half Ironman. And at any point in the race, ask myself, how am I supposed to do this twice? I'm going to be dying because that was the truth. I knew this was going to be painful just to do this half Ironman. And uh, I did. I made a promise to myself. I wasn't going to think about the future. I just needed to get through the swim, the bike, and the run. And then, then I could worry about the next race. And uh, that right there is focusing on the task at hand. Sometimes a lot of our, our goals become uh destroyed because we think about that they're too big and honestly having big goals are great they're awesome uh, but focus on the first step you know work on the first item and then once that's checked off your list focus on some of the things you can control 
and then you can take on to the next step. Uh, you don't otherwise a lot of time, a lot of people get discouraged. And then another uh, mental block I had was actually on the Ironman, um, and I was uh, this is in Florida, and um, and you know, like I said, I've never done this distance before, so that was a, a factor of how my body was going to respond to that distance and that time being on the course. And I got through the swim through a breeze. The, the bike was awesome. Uh, the run, which I knew from the get-go was going to be the hardest, the biggest struggle. Um, I, I was struggling within the first couple of miles. I started throwing up. Uh, my body couldn't accept any more calories. Like I try to eat something and then I throw it up and then I try to drink something and I just, I was just feeling sick and I just kept pushing. I went another mile and, and, uh, I was like, man, what's, what's going on? And I was just feeling dizzy. I thought I was going to get, you know, pass out. And all of a sudden I smelt this, this chicken broth. Someone had was cooking on the course and I started drinking the chicken broth and it was just the ticket my body needed to get going for a few more miles. And uh, I got to it was mile 133 on the course. And at this point, my body, again, started rejecting some of the recovery or any, any kind of functions of keep going, uh, especially in my limbs. Um, my, when I'm running, I, I carry extra socks to fill the void because I lose so much volume in my in my sockets through sweating and and the heat and so forth and but this time around i felt my sockets were very tight super tight like almost like someone was choking my limbs hmm. and um it was very painful very very painful so i'd sat down for a second on the side of the road and as i pulled them off just blood was going everywhere and I, you know, pulled off my sleeve and it was just like hamburger meat, just all kinds of uh, blisters and cuts. And, you know, my adrenaline was going so much that I tried not to think of the pain. And, and uh, because of the hard impact and the intensity that was going on to my limbs, instead of it shrinking, it was swelling up. Mm. And I was, you know, my first thought or knee-jerk reaction and it was the right decision was to put my sockets back on as soon as possible wow. uh, because otherwise they would get too big and I and I couldn't put my legs back on and and where I was in the course I had six miles left and I couldn't crawl that far and make the cutoff time so I got my legs on and it was super painful to put them back on and I'd start walking and you know, try to run, and then it would just get so painful. So I had to take the legs off so I can get circulation again. Hurry, put them back on. And I was really not going anywhere. And at this rate, I was worried about not finishing. And I I tried to think of things to keep my mind off of the pain and and the struggles. And I started thinking of things that I know. I can be grateful for. Yeah, I was in the dumps. I was in a dark spot. But I need. I want to be grateful for something. Focus on things that are positive in my life. So I started off with something real simple. That's my wife and my kids. How much I loved them. How much they supported me. How much they kept me going. And then I started focusing on things like my work. Uh, my boss was supportive of me, allowed me to come out here, and my employees, the house that I live in, the food. And I started thinking about some of the things I had you know, still left, like my eyes and my hands and my, uh, my knees and, 
and uh, you know uh, I could talk in my mind. I was super grateful of that. And as I was thinking of these things that I'm grateful for, the time just started going so fast. And you know, it seemed like six miles. I was down to two miles, and I was like, "Oh, this is working!" And I run it right. I I I got my second wind, and ultimately what pushed me for the last end is that I ended up being thinking of all the things I was grateful for. And the last one I was grateful for was I was grateful for my feet. Hmm. And I was grateful that I was an amputee. I was grateful for all the problems I had. I was grateful for all the struggles that I went through, all the people that were able to help me, all the doors that I was able to open, people I was able to talk to, inspire um, the challenges that my kids saw me go through that they can maybe overcome themselves down the road by seeing their dad do something. And that maybe that's just the motivation to get them into the next level. And I'm looking at, this is a blessing. And that, that joy, I held on as tight as I could until I got to the finish line. Wow. That's incredibly inspiring. Um, Thanks. <laughs> we could be tearful of it. Uh, the, um, so it, so is the is is the physical aspect of all of these things the outdoor sports and the the triathlon is that really um, your main outlet um, and for you know just getting your mind off things and and just really enjoying what you're doing or is there anything else that you're also passionate about I mean you've got the the five one c three obviously but um, I not necessarily like the triathlon is, is, is always dear to my heart because it really was the foundation of taking things to the next level. But I, I have found that after the Ironman, you know, this is 2019 and 2020 was such a bummer year while the races got canceled that, you know, I, I needed to have something, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like, being comfortable or having do not doing anything or having not having goals in mind is dangerous. You know, I, I, I feel the adversary, uh, that's his playground. That's when he can start feeding you fears or feeding you doubt in your mind is when you're not doing them. And I knew that that was dangerous. And so, you know, I stepped it up with a lot of the, the hunting that wasn't affected by COVID. Um, and, and now with this year, I was able to get a triathlon in, I'm still planning on doing some more. Unfortunately, at this time, you know, I don't have the green light from the big boss, aka my wife, to do another Ironman for a little bit. But there's other goals I have in mind that I want to drive, strive to. So, you know, climbing certain mountains. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I actually have a big goal in mind that I'm trying to find the pieces and the timing to put this together sponsors etc and that's to swim the english channel oh. uh, with with no lakes um oh. and that's and that's something that uh i'm having uh you know i'm trying to convince the wife that it's you know fine and safe but it's a it's a big defeat you know big feat it's a you know a pretty much a marathon swim from france to england um and uh but it's something that i've been you know very intrigued about swimming is the best of my three in the triathlon um and uh i have a little bit what i call insulation on my body uh, aka fat and that extra insulation is 
required to yeah. uh, to make that defeat because it can be very, very, very cold water. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where a lot of people fail is that their organs start shutting down on the swim. So um, it's something that uh, I'm doing research on. Um, I am confident it's something I could do, but I want to make it as safe and um, gives me my be the best opportunity to finish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what would your, um, for some, if somebody was trying to get, at, you know, amputee or not, um, somebody trying to go into uh, a triathlon or, or even, you know, a, compete to achieve in a Ironman, um, any advice or words of wisdom you can give them, um, something you wish you would have known going in, uh, man, this is way harder. I could have done this better, um, for somebody who's, who's trying to do that. Um, I would look at, at every race that you do the first race of that distance. I, I, I highly suggest you build up to it yeah. to just go from hospital bed to Ironman, not saying that it can't be done. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I, it would not be my recommendation, but to look at each race as it doesn't matter what happens here, you're going to learn, you're going to get better from it. And the best thing about doing your first 5K or your first marathon is it's gonna, you're gonna have the, your best time. And that's, that's what it's important about. You know, for me, I tell people, it's like, you know what? I just hope to be the top person to finish the finish line with no legs. That's my goal. In this race, people on the race are like, oh, really? Is there other guys, you know, with no legs? I only saw one guy. It's like, yeah, there's just one guy. <laughs> this hits me. Uh, but, you know, that that's what I tell people. And, and, and my my uh, advice is to just look at it as that way. And and sometimes you psych yourself out saying, oh, you know, I, I struggled with the swim because I, you know, I panicked or, you know, I got kicked in the face and or I crashed on my bike, got a flat tire. I had all of those things in a race. In fact, my last race was the biggest suck fest when it comes to scenarios. Is, uh, the water here, we're in a big drought and the lake was down so low that where the bikes were, you had to run across this mud flat. Ooh. And it was just nasty mud. And then the water was so low that it was like two feet of water and then it, finally, when you get to the last buoy, you can actually swim without touching the ground. Oh. And that was only like an eighth of the swim. So everything, you're, I'm just crawling through the mud with my arms. And I look by and I can see people just hopping over me. And, and by then, I was so exhausted. My hands were so far down deep in the mud. It was up to my shoulders. And I couldn't even take like my, my sweatsuit on. I couldn't get my legs on. Finally, somebody dumped a bucket of water on me to get all the mud off. But yeah, I didn't expect that to happen. I showed up to the race and I'm like, sweet, let's do it. And then when I got down to the start, Pat was like, oh shit, this is this is gonna be fun. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, I'm sure the prep work is. And what do you uh, you were mentioning you're you're having to eat and drink stuff throughout the race? Is it mostly liquids or just energy like what, what what are you doing uh so the bike course i um i use i have a, a pattern that i trained prior to mm -hmm. so i know my my stomach can do the best to handling it um 
I've done things like uh, at mile at the halfway part on the on the bike, which is about 50 miles in. I put they have a what they call a special needs bag, and I put like you know certain chafing stuff in there, yeah. make sure they get sunblock. I put a pickle in there to kind of help with the electrolytes and. Uh, I take gels. Um, I also do a, kind of a liquid carbor, um, have liquid carbs. Yeah. Uh, I call it Carbo Rocket. That's got you know your sugars and your salts and your carbohydrates. I drink that. They're about 900 calories in a bottle. Dang. I drink a few of those on the bike, and then on the run, I try to eat a little bit more of a like a gummies because my stomach can't handle any more gels, and and then I try to eat things like fruit or or flat coke um and they have that on, on iron man especially they try to have that out throughout the race and and finally like i said once i my stomach was able to come off that queasiness um i was able to eat things a little bit better and uh once i started eating i felt a lot better too yeah i can imagine well I, and and i mean you mentioned something you happen to have chicken broth on the course uh, I guess it's pretty unpredictable depending on, you know, what you're going through at that particular point in time, but what do you, what do you do if there's no other options? I mean, um, uh, I, I guess it's just, you know, push through or, or in the race, right. At that point. Yeah. Um, I carried a fuel belt, um, which I kept like extra wrenches and screws in case something comes loose on my legs. Okay. And then I would tuck in these little salt tablets and uh, I had a little extra um, gels that, you know, have all the amino acids and calories in them. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. Just as a backup. Sure. Sure. Um, and then uh, is there a van going with you guys throughout this or backup medic, medical, that kind of thing that's following you guys throughout the entire race? Yeah, they're out there sporadically um, at every, we call them aid stations um, where they have your food. That they would communicate if someone collapsed on the course or um, they just sit down and say, I'm done. And, you know, I usually, I had that happen where I passed that message on to somebody and say, Hey, the, the young lady, you know, in the blue shorts, she's sitting on that curb. She says she wants to be pulled off the course. So gotcha. anyway. is, is the dropout rate pretty high for that? Or do most people who start that race end up finishing? uh it depends on the conditions uh so we have one here in saint george uh, southern utah it's hot desert conditions Oof. one year it was not it was like 50s and 40s ish huh. in the morning and people weren't prepared and they dropped out when they got into the water wow. um, or it's the opposite where it is so hot that it's you know i think one race is like 40 percent of the people dropped out but in, in the race that I did, um, I don't remember, there was quite a few, but not, I would say more on average that, that did drop out. Um, you know, if you crash your bike, that's pretty tough, you know, yeah. you hit your head. That's, that's no bueno. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you pull a muscle or break something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it happens, you know, people die on the course too. We had, a, oh God. uh, um, was it Coeur d'Alene or St. George? I can't remember, but they had somebody die, um, drowned. We had that too. So, Oh my word. Uh, for the, oh, oh, your kids. So are they as into, uh, the hunting and the fishing and, and, and run around getting active as much as you are, or, um, are they taking after you in any regard in that way? 
Oh, absolutely. That's the, I, love, I love that part about my life is introducing it to them. You know, even my, my three-year-old, I come home and if I'm, you know, if I even have one piece of fishing equipment out, whether I'm tying a fly or, or, you know, getting, you know, things put away, she's like, Oh, we're going fishing. Let's go fishing. <laughs> she's just, you know, constantly bugging me about it. And she's, she's good about it. I feel bad because we haven't had good success the last few times, but um, she's, she's really, she's my, my three-year-old. I feel like she's going to be the biggest um, person in inside of fishing and hunting. I do have two other girls that like to go. They haven't landed into the hunting yet. They're still young. Um, and then I have a 12 year old boy that's done everything with me. We ice fish together. We go, you know, we hunt ducks and birds and, and he just turned 12 this year. And so in the state of Utah, you're able to now pursue uh, big games such as deer and elk, buffalo. And um, he drew, which is like a process to be lucky enough to, to an application. He drew a deer tag so he gets to hunt deer this year. Oh. So it'll be a fun experience for him. That'll be phenomenal. Um, sure. And on the... Uh, oh, what, so what do you, uh, I'm, I'm assuming your, your wife is taking care of the family while you're working and, and doing the, the triathlons and all that stuff. What, but uh, what do you do for work? Um, I work in, in the, in Bernal, Utah. Um, okay. We, we, we have two major counties in this basin that uh, small, small town, each, each one of them is about 10 to 15,000 people um, in each town. And we provide the internet and uh, we do a lot of cellular TV. We have cable. Um, we have a multimedia company. Uh, the internet is our big thing. That's where the main provider for the, for this basin. And, and I uh, work in a retail store where we, um, I have a group of uh, team members that set residential business accounts up. So. Gotcha. Very good. And then uh, is your wife also doing all these things? Uh, is she into hunting like the kids and you are? I, sometimes <laughs> I wish she was just because of like, you know, it'd be fun to, because when you're out, you know, on a five day hunt in the, in the woods all by yourself and you're, you have nothing to talk to, talk, nobody talk to the squirrels. You, you scroll through your phone, you see a picture of your hot wife and you're like, oh man, <laughs> she's so beautiful. I wonder what she's doing. And Sometimes I'm in cell service and sometimes I'm in not cell service and, and I wish, you know, the times I wish she was there, but at the same time, I, I think it's a good release and not to say that our marriage is horrible, but it's a good yeah. thing that we have something that we both like to do separate. Like I don't like to go shopping. She likes to go <laughs> shopping and uh, it's so in a ways it's good fishing. Yeah. We do go fishing together. That's an easy one. Um, but uh, yeah, no, she used to be a school teacher and, and she'll go back to work here once my youngest is able to go to school. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Are you guys, uh, out of curiosity, are you guys homeschooling at all right now or doing anything like that? No, no. um, we are not, um, we thought about it, <laughs> but, uh, just with some of the things, but our, our particular area is pretty conservative. They haven't put some serious restrictions or implement any strict rules. However, uh, they are going to go one day a week where we homeschool. And then, uh, I mean, that's everybody has to do that. And then it's four days a week at school. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, what's the next big event that you're going to be doing? 
so this weekend I'm hosting a bet uh, on a um, an archery elk hunt. Oh, nice. uh, and so we're doing that for a couple of days and then we are having a fundraiser. We're, we're doing a golf tournament. Um, we're also trying to raise money to build a facility down in Oklahoma where we can take disabled people on uh, hunts down there. Uh, we awesome. have some property down there on a lease. Uh, but as far as like on the endurance side of things, uh, next year I'm going to start participating in 10K swims. Uh, there's a couple that swim across large lakes here in the state of Utah. Um, so I, I'm just trying to find a buddy that will be uh, kind of my pilot. He'll have a, he'll be on a kayak. So mm -hmm. um, it's, it's weird. The, some of the rules are for these long distance swimming, you do have to be chartered. And so um, uh, that's what I'm doing. So that's kind of the, the work up to the next goal. Fantastic. Uh, if people want to find your, uh, your, your charitable organization and donate or, or participate in some way, where, the, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, you can hit our website. It's doutah.org, D-O-U-T-A-H.org. Uh, we have a donate button there. Um, if you, you know, if you guys, if one of your listeners want to, um, we have actually have a rare opportunity where we are selling a couple of our uh, whitetail hunts, so that way the money we can use some of that money to build a oh. kind of an accessible facility for our wheelchair guys. Um, uh, we are going to do that this year. So if they want to do that, have them reach out to me. Um, my social media, like you said, is try underscore no feet. Uh, try is spelled T R I. Perfect. Um, any other websites or anything you wanted to plug? Uh, no. Oh, that's it. You know, bomb, the bomb.com. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, hopefully um, I, 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 I found your story to be incredibly um, intriguing and um, I, I did, you're, you're a testament to what can be done, not what can't be done. And I, I love that you're pushing that message. I mean, as active and as involved as you are with so many different things is incredibly inspirational. I think our, our audience is going to, going to resonate really well with that, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, um, follow this guy on Instagram, uh, get involved with the, the charity, um, donate or participate however you feel led. And, uh, um, thank you so much for, for your time and, and effort on this and much best of luck in, in the, um, the new, uh, events that you have coming up. Oh, thanks Ashton. I appreciate it, bud. Yeah, anytime. Alrighty, boss. We'll uh, we'll catch you later then. Okay. Take right. care. Take care. Thank you for listening. Please give Freedom Cast a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot to our business. Plus, it's fun to read y'all's reviews. See you next time.